the last time that we were here, uh, speaking of Ezekiel, we were in chapter 11, and um, we were wrapping up at the point where Ezekiel is shown the evildoers at the temple. We went through all of that and how God took him around pretty much by the air um, and showed him all the evil that was done. And that's where we left off. So um, we also find that God details the reason for his wrath in all of that. And Ezekiel documents a glimpse into, the, into, into all of that. What we're going to move into now, which I think is one of the most exciting parts of, of, of Ezekiel, which moves into the even more exciting part, we're going to finish up a little bit here, but we're going to move into the glimpse into the restoration of Israel. We're going to move into the... Remember I told you that the basic premise of the book of Ezekiel is retribution and restoration. So we've seen the hard parts of the retribution, especially as the lead-in from Ezekiel, from uh, Jeremiah um, and, all, and, and, and the, you know, the, the exilic books there, and, and well, but Daniel's after this. But um, we see through Ezekiel and all of these other books, that there is a light at the end of this tunnel of judgment against Israel. And we've learned a lot about that because we're told, again, that Israel is an example for us. But So we're going to get into that most exciting part. And, you know, just, just before the Bible study tonight, I was brushing up on the last parts of the notes here that I have. And I was ex so excited because it is so blatantly obvious. When you get into the part where... The, the restoration comes and of, of now, right, from the 1800s until now, you know, the final thrust of Israel becoming a nation again, and the, the hardship that's going to come between now and the end of the tribulation, but then Israel's guaranteed restoration to be the head of the nations under her Messiah, who she will recognize in the millennium. And this is the thing, if, if people, not us, but I mean, any people who do not believe in the tribulation, you know, pre, pre, pre sorry, the, the, the tribulation, right? No, it's not just pre-wrath, it's the pre-tribulation rapture. The, the cadence of the tribulation being the, the, the finishing of the, of the uh, uh, rest, not restitution, the retribution against Israel, the finishing of, of the uh, transgressions, as Daniel puts it. And then the cadence into the millennium where the promised kingdom, which they wanted Jesus to bring when he was here on earth 2,000 years ago, which he didn't do, which they got a little disillusioned about. Okay, a lot disillusioned about, right? If people don't, re don't understand that, it's their own fault. These books are clear. The eschatology is clear. God's plan is clear. The dispensation living is clear. So let's move on here. All right. So Ezekiel now documents for us a glimpse into the final restoration of Israel and, by the way, the entire world. And this is even before we get to the end where Ezekiel kind of leaves off at the end of the millennium and Revelation kind of picks up where we now, at the end of Revelation, it says in what? I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and that's after the millennium. That's when God renews all things and then we move into the eternal state where we have no clue of how that's going to be. So right now, and I said this last time, to get us through... Help get us through what's coming, because you see the evil that's here. You see the burgeoning of Satanism. I mean, the world is just getting crazier than any of us, and we're all fairly old here, most of us. Right, Jesse? <laughs> Actually, Jesse's like, what, two days? What, you're two days after me? Younger than me. Well, you look older. <laughs> now you're sideways, too. <laughs> the branch to the nose. Uh, yeah, but that's okay. Doesn't matter. As long as I can see you, I'll take you anywhere I can get you. Anyway, so the point is that we're all old enough, and we all, I think, can reasonably say we have never seen the world in this state. We have never seen the geophysical systems in this state. We have never seen the evil. And we all know, and you see it, what, what was prophesied at the end was what? There is nothing that is hidden that would not be revealed. And look at all of the things that are coming and bubbling to the surface from the occult to all of the molestation, to all of the sexual abuse and all of the occult and all of the, the, the horrible Christianity, quote unquote. All these things are coming up. It's a warning to us. Whatever's hidden will be revealed. Anyway, the, the entire world will be, will be restored at some point. And then we are given the prophecy of the finally realized Davidic kingdom under Jesus Christ, which I was just saying. Most notably, we're not going to get to that now, we'll get to that when we resume next time, is the fourth temple, which is coming. 
And you know that we're waiting for the third temple, but this is not the good temple, right? The third temple, which Israel's pushing for, right? But there's also others pushing for the third temple. I'm not going to get into that now. But what most don't think about is the promised fourth temple, right? And we've discussed that. So that's what Ezekiel is going to talk about. And that is the temple that Jesus Christ himself will have built. And he himself will reign in that temple after the third temple and everything around it is destroyed. So we'll examine that in detail later on. Um, but meanwhile, we'll take a peek at the restoration in this brief interlude in, in chapter 11, and then we're going to move on. So I'm just going to read chapter 11, verses 14 through 21, okay? And we're going to move up forward very quickly after that into, into chapter 36, okay? Then the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, your brothers, your relatives, your fellow exiles, and the whole house of Israel, all of them, all of them, are those to whom the present inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Go far away from the land. This land has been given to us as a possession. Ah, now the present inhabitants of Jerusalem are not are, are the nations. This is this is talking yet future kind of right. Just just think of it. It's kind of then, but kind of future because the 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 sit the it. I don't want to say this. You know how prophecy goes around the same horn all the time. It just it just gets bigger as it keeps going. So we know that Nebuchadnezzar is going to come in. And the prophecy here is about Jerusalem being sacked right after the, the, they've been taken captive. Okay. Well, isn't that the same cadence of the current, well, the, the, the just past diaspora from AD 70 until 1947, right? When Jerusalem, or Jerusalem, Israel was taken again captive, but this time not into Babylon, but in all the, all the nations of the world, oh, right? Right? And, and right. And so then Israel, uh, sorry, Jerusalem was laid waste and it was taken by the Romans. The temple was torn down. So that kind of cadence is happening. So what we're reading here, it both applies to what's going to happen in real time at that time with Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldean army, but also what's coming. So just, just keep that in mind as we go. Okay. So therefore, verse 16, thus says the Lord God, though I had removed Israel far away among the nations, and though, uh, nations, you see, now we're talking about not just Nebuchadnezzar, although Israel was removed. Or the nations. Yeah, for the So you have to take, you have to look at, you have to look at this fore and after, right? That's what I'm saying. Um, though I had removed Israel far away among the nations, and though I had scattered them among the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary, a sanctuary for them, for a little while in the countries to which they had gone. Interesting. God followed them. Therefore say, thus says the Lord, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you back, I will give back to you the land of Israel. Now that sounds like squarely what has happened since the 1940s, right? Okay. When they returned there, Listen to this. They will remove from it all traces of its detestable things and all its repulsive things, remnants of paganism. Mm -hmm. But they haven't done that yet. They've been doing it. They've been doing well, it. Well, many of them, but not all. Right. So that's the segue into they're going to stay in that land from now right through to the millennium. Right? This, this, is, this is what this is trying to say. You get that point, right? That's the key. And I will give them, ah, here's how we know we're talking about moving into the millennium here. Not only that, the land will be ridden of all paganism, which it is not now. It's not. They're all, they're all crazy there. A lot of them still worship things that they shouldn't. They're detestable, right? But it's in process, like you said. But, here's this, but verse 19 is a key. And I will give them one heart or a new heart and put a new spirit within them. Now, would you say that they have that now? No, they I, don't, do not. I don't think so. You're right. They are there in unbelief and blindness. So we know that when that happens, it's only going to be in the millennium. So you see how I this is all... I don't know if it's going to be in the millennium or, in the, or uh, during the time of the tribulation. i tell you why. Right now we have, right now we have about, uh, I, I would say about five rabbis. They all know Christ. They all know that, that, that it's more than that. And they're bringing the gospel unbelievable. The right. way they're bringing the gospel. Yeah. I mean, but, but, I mean, through all the countries in the world. But wouldn't you say that's been happening even before right now? Ever since the church has been formed, right? In, in, in the years, well, 36, whatever. You know, when Acts and, and all of that, the church has been formed, right? Yeah. Wouldn't you say that Jews have been, this gospel has been spread to Jews as well? So if nothing is changing during the tribulation, 
It's still, except the church is not going to be here to spread the gospel, but the base 144,000 Jews will spread the gospel. Yeah. And then we also have, we know that the gospel will be spread by Gentiles who will be converted. So it's not, not really any different. What he's saying here, he's going to put a new heart in them as restored. So it is really talking about a different situation here. I thought he's talking about restoring the... Uh, but no, listen to what it says. And I will give them one heart, a new heart, and put a new spirit within them. It's not during the church age or during the tribulation. That's only one Jew at a time, right? It's like Gentiles. We're only being called one at a time here and there, right? He's talking about the, he's, the context here, Felicia, is restoring the entire nation of Israel and, of course, Judah. Yeah. And that's only going to happen in the millennium. And I'm going to prove it. So hold that thought, okay? okay. I'm going to prove it further as we go. So it's a good thought. Hold that thought. Um, and it says further, here's the point, I will take from them the heart of stone, and I will give them a heart of flesh that is responsive to my touch, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. Then they shall, then they shall be my people, and I will be their God. This is a collective, and there's more proof coming after that. Verse 21 of chapter 11. But as for those whose hearts long, longs for and follows after their detestable things and their repulsive things associated with idolatry, as for those who still want to keep their heart into idolatry is what he's saying, and loves their, their detestable things that they worship, on their own head I will repay them in full for their vile conduct, says the Lord. So that's the qualifier. That goes for the Gentiles too, by the way. But yeah. this is a book, remember, the book of Ezekiel is the historicity, or historicity, however you want to call it. It's the sum total <laughs> overview of the whole history of Israel on this earth, right? Okay. So after this, God has Ezekiel perform some more method acting in front of his captives. And I'm not going to go through all of that. Remember how you had to lay on one side or the other and do the, the tile of the city and all that stuff? Okay, so that's what he's going to do. We're not going to go through all of that. It's detail. So... But anyway, so to this point, now here's what we've done. We've studied the call of Ezekiel, God's anger and his rationale for the judgment, the severe judgment. We've read a lot about that. And how God will perform the judgment and the details of it, especially through Ezekiel's writings and when he showed him what he, what he was seeing and what he was going to do. Then, moving forward, in chapters 25 through 32, God describes through Ezekiel his promise of turning his wrath and his judgment on the nations which he used to punish Israel. And we're not going to go through that here, but just remember, that's how God works. We know that God will set up a people or set up nations to punish those he loves. They are called according to that purpose. But then he punishes them for doing that. Now, I must admit, God is sovereign, so I don't understand all of it, but I know it's true, and I know he does that. Okay? So it's like we know, even at the very beginning, when, he, when we know he called Pharaoh to harden Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh would have probably let them go before all of the horrible things that he had to do in those plagues. But those plagues are poetic in the way that they came, and they only came because he hardened his heart. And then he lets them go, and then he hardened his heart again, and they chase him to the Red Sea, right? So God's plan hinges on God's sovereign power over every single human being, and we can't fully understand why. At least I can't. So that's okay. You know, I don't understand a lot of things, but it's good to know some of the things and understand God's. But what we can do, and the most important thing here, is that we do understand God's heart, his mind, his character, and his point of view. How he does things, exactly why he does them, are not able for us to be known, but we have to understand in the whole cadence of Scripture, the whys and the hows sum up to the God we serve and how he works and what, he's, what his plans are. And that's, that's what we take out of this. So... Um, this is chapters 25 through 32. He describes his wrath and his judgments. And God prepares judgments against the main enemies of Israel. And who are they? The Ammonites, Moab, Edom. And by the way, Edom factors very greatly at the end. Edom, remember what I said? I'm going to ask this as a question if you remember. Does anybody remember? Because I've said this before. And the Jews believe this. They say that Edom is, who is Edom in the modern day vernacular? It's Arabia. No, all, all no, it's, it's what? Well, it's, it's actually um, Jordan, right? Well, it's, it, Edom is Esau, right? Yeah. The, the descendants of Esau, and yeah, they became Esau. Edom. Yeah. Like Jacob became Israel. That's right. But the extension, here's the point, and this is, this is the point here. I have said this because I didn't make it up. The Jews still say this, that Edom is Rome. 
Now the Romans, yeah, the Romans. Oh, they used to call them Romans. Well, that's true. And if yeah. you look at the history, and I've studied a little because I, you have to when you when you learn these things, and you have to see what Edom and the Cades of, and what the Vatican is doing now. Is this is why I'm making that point? Edom assisted, or at least at the very minimum, stood by when they were attacked a number of times. Edom actually was the attackers, but they used the Romans. They wanted the Romans to tear down that temple, right? And if you remember, Herod's temple had an eagle on the front. Now, we know that Arafat had the eagle, so we know that there's a, there's a thing here about eagles. We also know that the reason why their hallmark is the eagle, because in Jordan, in Petra, they were living in the clefts of the rock as eagles. So you see the relationship here. And this are, is biblical. We also are the eagles. <laughs> yeah, but we're also, ah, so when we, ah, yes, but think of this, though. You're not only are you correct in that, it's really, think of this, okay? It's a double-headed eagle, which is another thing. Right, you've seen the double-headed eagle. But the point is, yes, it's an eagle, but even more than that, we are part of what is called the young lions of, of the nation that is now Britain. And how do I know that? Because when we get to Ezekiel 38 and we look at the roster of nations that are going to come against Israel, Gog and Magog, Persia, Turkey, we're also going to see about well, Sheba and Dedan, okay, which is Saudi Arabia. By the way, you see what's happening in Saudi Arabia right now? We are so set up. These things have never happened before. We are so set up how they are on the sidelines in Ezekiel 30. See, I'm, I'm, okay, this is a spoiler, and I don't want to do it now. I want to do it later when I get to it. We are so close to Ezekiel 38 and the alignment of everything, including Sheba and Dedan, which is Saudi Arabia. And I'm going to explain that when we get there. I don't want to spoil it. Get there. We will. All right. So Edom is Rome. And I'm trying to show in history it is true. And the Edom, Edomites, are now through the Pope and the Vatican, taking over and internationalizing, right now, Jerusalem. They are part and parcel to Shimon Perez and the Israeli government, those who were some, Shimon Perez was a Jesuit, okay? He was Jesuit trained, and he was in bed with them to help give more and more things to, from Israel to them, okay, in the holy sites and stuff like that. They've done a lot of stuff, and right now, right now, like Israel has money, they're, they're doing well, but they are building infrastructure in places, especially south, Tori Lot. They are building infrastructure that is including new highways, new roads, and checkpoints. Checkpoints where they're huge. It's sort of like the border between the U.S. and Mexico. Why are they building these checkpoints? These places are never going to be Palestinian territory, or maybe they will. I don't think so. Well, what are the plans and who's financing this? Israel's not doing it in and of themselves. The government is in, is in bed with Rome. And you know, when, okay, I'm not going to get into all that. It's, it's the way it is. There's so much history, current history right now to prove it. Hacking, do you know that Israel, uh, intelligence, I mean, the, the, uh, the, uh, the development of, of, you know, all these things are the greatest, Israel. And they are hacking money from the banks from all the banks, from, from Germany and from uh, all over Arabia. Israel's doing it. And this. they said, you have to pay us. We, are never, you, we don't want to fight. Mm -hmm. We just uh, want you to pay for all the lives you have taken. Wow. And they, they uh, according to, uh, I mean, there was a, a rabbi on, on, uh, on, on TV, and he says, uh, we, we already got about... Uh, over four billion dollars from the banks. Yeah. Well, you, you <laughs> know. Well, think it. of this, right? Just think of this. I, I don't know. I, that I'm sure you're, you're saying is partially true. At least it's maybe all true. But the point is, they're doing it, right? Well, they're not supposed to do that. Yeah. But remember, back in Egypt, that God did because He said it would happen. That even when they left, that the Gentiles they would find favor in those Gentiles and they would give them of their spoils. And what happened when Israel left Egypt? Remember. The peoples in Egypt, the Egyptians gave them gold rings and gold earrings and all stuff to take with them. So there is this precedent that, that's what I'm saying, it's, it's, there is this precedent that even the Gentiles will give over their wealth to those who are gods. They so, already, they already, yeah. They already but anyway, yeah. So, so, so now, so here's God's preparing judgment against the Ammonites, Moab, Edom, and that all extends into today, especially with Edom. That's what I'm going to make the point. The Philistines, right? The Philistines, you know where the Philistines were, were, were situated in history, right? They're in, the, in what we now know as the Gaza Strip. Yeah. Okay. So the, now you know the Palestinians are there, but the other, the other side, right? Anyway, Tyre and Egypt, specifically Pharaoh, so, or the government of Egypt. So here we go. So we see the cadence 
of Israel and what's going to happen here. I just want to skip over some notes that I really don't want to go through here. Let's see. Okay, so we have sampled in many places God's heart of anger and even fury against Israel. And that's what we're coming now. We're going to start coming to the, the prophesy. You see how we're moving toward the prophecies of the future, right? And how we're moving toward from retribution toward restoration. And that's where I want you to, to, to see. Okay, and then we're going to find out God's going to specifically say why. He's going to specifically say why he's doing this. But we're going to get into that. So we know that God is a very jealous God. He says it many times, right? Even when it comes to us as the church body and the, and the body of his son, Jesus Christ. We in this time, as they, Israel, in their time, in a mutually, co are in a mutually covenanted relationship with, with God, okay? Akin to marriage to both people. And we, we already know that, right? That the bride of God, the Father, right? Yahweh is Israel. And the bride of God's son is the church. And if you want to make, take it a step further, Jesus had to come as a human being for, obviously, the main reason was to, to be able to shed his blood to die and rise for us as human. But the key is, is he took over where the first king of the world, Adam, who was human, failed. He had to buy back the title deed because Adam basically gave the kingdom away when he sinned to Satan, right? So not only does he buy that back, but don't forget, Adam had a wife named Eve who was specifically made and suited for him. And they were, they were both married even after they were kicked out of the garden. So God is providing an Eve for the new Adam. And we are that Eve. And we are specifically being formed in the spirit to be perfectly compatible with Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? We are the bride to Christ because we, like Eve to Adam, are made from himself for himself. And when we finally see him as he is, we will have bodies just like his. We were taken from him, right? And we are given back to him as his bride, just like Eve to Adam. Does that make sense? This is the poetry here of the body of Christ. This is what this is about. So he's jealous over us in the same way and for the same reasons that he's jealous over, over Israel for the Father. The roles are very similar between the church and Israel in that regard. So we're going to take a quick look at chapter 16 and allow God to share his heart about Israel in the midst of this book of warning, righteous anger, retribution, and restoration. And my point here, in this parable, it's a story. We're going to read it. So if you want to turn to chapter 16 of Ezekiel, in this story, God couches his thoughts in Jerusalem, since of Jerusalem, I should fix that, of Jerusalem, since it is the object, nope, it is in, never mind, in Jerusalem, since it is the object of the final siege, right, of Babylon, we know it's going to be the final siege, that's what he's telling Ezekiel is going to happen, and he is discussing it and the debaucheries in the temple, which we already talked about, he brought Ezekiel all around the temple to see that. And, but remember, the people are already captured. They're already in Babylon. So that's, this, that's the thing. He's not going to couch his thoughts, but listen how he couches them. We're going to get into that. So Jerusalem, because of this issue, is emblematic of the city and the people, Israel, that are both the apple of his eye. See, Israel and those people, especially Jerusalem, right, are tied together as an entity in God's eye. The physical land and his physical people, and Jerusalem is the, the physical and spiritual capital for eternity, right, for God, and Israel, and of course the church, who those who come into the church are the, sp the spiritual body of, of Christ. So listen to this. Having said all that, just, just think of that and make that relationship as we read. Uh, chapter 16, I'm going to read, of course, from the Amplified Version. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, make Jerusalem understand the heinous and the vile nature of her repulsive, idolatrous acts. So he's going to tell them about them, and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, or all of Israel by extension, Your spiritual origin and your birth are from the land of the Canaanite. Remember, that's where Abel, Ab Abraham came from. Your spiritual father was an Amorite. Jerusalem became an Israel. An Is so, and the reason why I said it, I had to look this up. Jerusalem, you said your father was an Amorite. So Jerusalem became an Israelite city only after David captured it from the Jebusites. Okay, and that was in 2 Samuel chapter 5. All right, so that's what he's reflecting back here. So your father, so again, he's talking about Jerusalem, the city, but he's also talking about Israel. So you see where this is going. And your spiritual mother, a Hittite. And as for your birth, 
on the date, now listen to this. So, and as for your birth, here's the metaphor, here's the parable, but just think about this. And think about the church as well as those of us individually in the church and Israel and Jerusalem. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut. You were not even separated from your mother, nor were you washed with water for cleansing. So this is a baby that's born, right? Yeah. No care is given to this baby. It's despised as soon it's as it's born. That's the symbolization of the, the, the baby girl that was in the blood, yes. Right. This is it. Right. You, this is the, right. You're exactly right. This is what he's talking about. But, but remember, we're trying to figure out the relationship. It's a metaphor, right? So, yeah. Okay. So you were not washed with water for cleansing, nor were you rubbed with salt or even wrapped in clothes. No, I looked with pity on you to do any of these things for you. They hated that baby as soon as it was born. They hated that baby before it was born. You get the picture? Okay. To have compassion on you, but you were thrown out in the open field, for you were loathed on the day that you were born. Verse 6, when I passed by you and saw you squirming in your newborn blood, I said to you, while you were there in your blood, I said, live. Didn't God say that to each and every one of us who are his in Christ? When we were discarded, we were worthy of being discarded. We were, we were filthy. And we still are. We're being changed. But the fact is, is that we were despised by him. Israel was despised by him and everybody else. I mean, because it wasn't Israel yet, but when it was first born, it wasn't despised by him, but it became Israel. And that's when he said, live. And he says, yes, I said to you while you were there in your blood, live. He says it twice. I made you, Israel, multiply like plants which grew in the field. And you grew up and became tall, and you reached the age for wearing fine jewelry. Say again. Woman. Right, and isn't that, but listen to the metaphor. There's also an undertone of desire here. Think of this. So he cultivates her, the bride aspect, right? Yeah. And she becomes the willing bride until something happens to her. But, but before that, he is fashioning her in a custom way, training her up, preparing her, dressing her. You get, the, you get what I'm saying here? Has he prepared Eve for Adam directly? fashioning her specifically and the church being specifically fashioned for christ this is the point this is the point this is you can see his his heart here so he says now you're reaching the age now she's growing up after he saves her he says live live and he saves her he feeds her clothes her cares for her and he says as you reach the age for wearing fine jewelry your breasts were formed you see the the undertone of of, of a desire but beauty right beautiful beautiful like a proverbs 31 beauty your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. Then I passed you by again and looked on you. So some time passes. Behold, you were maturing and at the time for love. Now she's ready for marriage and all the things that a mature woman can and should have by design. And I spread my skirt over you, right? Remember the story of Ruth? It's the same kind of metaphor here. Then, so it says, then I spread my skirt of you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath. I swore an oath. When God says that, there is no breaking of that oath. When he swears, like the covenants, that's it, right? I swore an oath to you and entered, ah, he says it right here, and entered into a covenant with you, says the Lord God, and you became mine. You see the possessiveness here? Boom. Now you see the metaphor. Then I washed you with water. Yes, I thoroughly washed away you, the clinging blood, from you, the clinging blood, and anointed you with oil. I also clothed you and embroidered you with, with clothes. Now he's beauty. making her beauty, right? Putting on sandals of porpoise skin, and I wrapped your feet, and it goes on and on here. Uh, verse 12, I also put a ring in your nostril and earrings in your ears. And by the way, that's a cultural thing. So today, you put a ring in somebody's nostrils in this culture, you might say they're rebellious. In those days, it was something that was accepted. So yeah, that's what we have to look upon today, like people wearing tattoos stuff like that anyway that's that's the point but 13 thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your dress was made of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth you ate fine flour and honey and oil so you were extremely beautiful she was nourished well she was well dressed nourished well and you advanced and prospered into royalty a queen the church and Israel, and the queen city of the earth, Jerusalem. This is where he's going with this, right? Verse 14, at that moment, or at that point, now the fame 
Then your fame went out among the nations on account of your beauty. Now think of that. And that beauty can get others jealous. Right? That's right. But Israel, they hate Israel because she's God's chosen and she's... Oh, wait a minute. They hate the church too. Hmm. And we are beautiful in Christ's eyes, right? Matter of fact, when God looks at us, he sees his son, the beauty of his son in us, the righteousness. That's the beauty. We're clothed in that, right? Well, even the queen of Sheba came to see Solomon yeah. and the splendor of the kingdom and everything that right. he had. Right. That's what this, this is talking about. Yep, all of that, exactly. So that's why I wanted to bring this chapter 16 and read it because it is a beautiful metaphor of so many things. It just wraps up so many things of, of the history of Israel and God and the church and, and what God does and how he thinks about them You have and to us. be blind to read that and not see Israel. Boof! And that's what I just said before, right? You have to be blind. If people read this, they really understand this with the Holy Spirit. How can people who say they're Christians say the things they say today about God and his work, purposes and the church and what it means and, and the anti and pre-trip, post-trip, whatever? Come on. I mean, you know, mid-trip, whatever they say. Look... I don't even want to go there anymore. I'm really, that's not, that's not my, it's not my thing anymore. People can do whatever they want, you know, but there's no excuse. Okay. But now here's the but part. Chapter, verse 15. But you trusted in, ah, see, now she's got the adoration of the nations and she's all that. She's not wanting for anything. She's, she's now feeling her oats as it were, right? So what happens? But you trusted in and relied on your beauty, and what happened? She prostituted herself in idolatry and in debauched rituals because of your fame, and you poured out your immoralities on every willing passerby, and your beauty was his as you worshiped the idols of the Gentile nations. Again, I'm going to say it. Look at the church today. We have prostituted ourselves to everything. We let anything in, right? The the yoga, the the the, uh, the 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 things that we do for that are blatantly blatantly pagan that have come in. We're catering to everybody, so we can't even preach the gospel anymore because it offends people because we care about those people coming in. And there's much more than that. You know what some of these preachers in the in the world say. You hear it. That's why God is angry. It's the same thing because of the fame and the fortune and the beauty. So here, listen to this. Verse 16, you took some of your clothes and made for yourself decorated high places and shrines of various colors and prostituted yourself on them, setting up her own altars and her own places for the, for the gathering of these demons and the worshiping of these gods. And then she prostitutes herself after she builds those places, the high places, right? The groves and the high places, right? things which should never have come about and taken place. Verse 17, you also took your beautiful jewels and beautiful vessels made of my gold and my silver, God is saying, which I had given you, and even you gave them to you as gifts, and made for yourself images of men so that you could prostitute yourself with them. All the idolatry. And you took your embroidered clothing and covered them and offered my oil and my incense before them. Also, my bread, which I gave you, made from fine flour and oil and honey, which I fed you, you even offered it before idols, no better than cow dung. That's the translation. As a sweet and soothing aroma. So it happened, says the Lord God. Verse 20, moreover, you took your sons and your daughters, whom you had borne to me, our children, he's saying, and you destroyed them as sacrifices to your man-made God. How many times do we know about Israel sacrificing to the superheated arms of the, of the bronze statue of Baal? Right? We Did you know? We are doing the same thing with the, with the uh, abortions. Right. Yes. Yes. The the That's way. perfect. That's exactly what we're doing. This is a ritual killing of the innocent. Yeah. That's what this is, right? You're right. 100%. Well said. And this goes on and on. So let's move down to verse 23. Then it came about after all your wickedness. Woe, woe to you, says the Lord God, that you built yourself an altar for prostitution. And it keeps going. You can read this more. This is just going on and on. It's horrible. And I don't want to read. I don't want to take too much time reading it. Um, let's move down to uh, 29. Moreover, you increased your obscene immorality with the land of tradesmen, Chaldea, Babylonia. Hmm. 
And yet, even with this, you were not satisfied. She was still lustful for more. How weakened by longing and lust in your heart and your mind, says the Lord God. While you do all these things, the actions of a bold and brazen prostitute. When you built your shrine altar for prostitution at the beginning of every street, you made your high places, your adulterous wife, in verse 32, who becomes and receives strangers instead of her husband. This is the case God is bringing against them. Now, think of this in relationship to God showed Ezekiel in the temple. This is an explanation in, that, in, a, in, a, in a metaphor of, of basically that. Okay, let's move forward here. Uh, verse 37, Therefore, listen, I will gather all your lovers, your pagan allies, with whom you took pleasure, and all those whom you loved with all those whom you hated. I will even gather them against you from every direction. Now, you see, he's going to gather the nations against Israel. This is You see how this is going here? And will expose your nakedness to them, that they may see all your nakedness. What is hidden is going to be revealed, making you, Israel, an object of loathing and mockery, a, a spectacle among the nations. And I, the Lord God, will judge you like women who commit adultery or shed blood are judged. And I will bring on you the blood of wrath and jealousy. And he's going to hand them over to them. That's what they have been doing. That's right. But he's going to, that's right. And he's going to hand them over to them, which is coming again. This whole, yeah. even Jerusalem, right now we know that they're getting ready to hand Jerusalem over as an international city. You see prophecy speaking right here. Okay. So what will they do? Verse 40. Among other things, they'll strip her and so forth. They will also incite a crowd against you and will stone you and slaughter you with their swords. Uh, let's see, verse 14, they will burn down your houses with fire and execute judgments. You see what's coming. This is coming in Ezekiel 38 and 39. But there's, and this is going to be in the land. It's not just going to be a war for yes, outside of Israel. Already, That's right, exactly. And it's going to keep happening until, and the worst part is going to be during the tribulation. That's why I personally think the Gog and Magog war is before the tribulation. It's before that. And we have to get raptured around that point. It's going to be because, we'll, when we get to that point, I'll explain why I think that, and we'll hopefully see it in Scripture. Anyway, um, okay, so going down here, 42. So I, so, listen to this. Now, with this, this is what he says. Listen to this. Listen to this. This is God's heart. Verse 42. So I will calm my wrath towards you and my jealousy resulting from being denied what is rightfully and uniquely mine. I will calm it and will turn away from you. I will turn away from you. I will be pacified and no longer angry because you have not remembered the days of your youth, but you have enraged me with all these things. Therefore, I in turn will bring your conduct down on your own head, says the Lord. So we better not play with the Lord. <laughs> better not play with him. So that you will not commit this lewdness on top of all your other repulsive acts. Skip down to verse 46. Now your oldest sister is Samaria, she with her daughters outlying cities, who live north of you, right? Now what's north of Lebanon, all of those places? You think of this, right? And north of that. Um, and your younger sister is Sodom, she with her daughters who live south of you, Egypt and there. You just think of the map, right? You, yet you have not merely walked in their ways or behaved in accordance with their pagan practices, but as if it were too little, if that wasn't enough, you soon acted more corruptly in all your ways than they did. And that's why God calls Israel Sodom. Uh-oh. Maybe that was Holy Spirit calling. I don't know, leave a message. <laughs> I'm busy. Huh? No, you're there. He's still there. Sodom? Yeah, yeah, Sodom calling. <laughs> anyway, let's keep going. I'm going to... So, let's see. The end of the matter here is to skip verse... Skip to verse 60. Now, here comes the but God moment. And this is... This is Nevertheless, but God, verse 60, I will remember with compassion... It's not that just he'll remember his covenant. You know, God has to keep his covenant. Oh, he's not a covenant breaker, right? No matter what happens. But listen to this. He's going to say, with compassion, my covenant with you in the days of your youth, 
and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your sisters, both your older and your younger. I will give them to you as daughters, but not because of your covenant with me. And I will establish, establish, I will establish my covenant with you, and you will know without any doubt that I am the Lord. Pointing into when? The millennium. And that's what I'm talking about. You will know because I will make you know. I will have compassion on you after all of the judgments done, and you will know that I am God, and you will remember, and you will remember my covenant because I will strike it with you firmly. So that in verse 63, you may remember in detail and be ashamed and never open your mouth again, the millennium and thereafter, because of your humiliation. When I have what? Forgiven you for all that you have done, says the Lord. Isn't that amazing? And that is restitution and restoration pointing all the way from Babylon all the way into the millennium, hooking into it. Does that make sense? So think of that. Think of that. And again, this apply this thought, this scenario to the church. And it's how serious we must be to be beholden to Christ as his. You know, it's, it's good because we always find favor with God and we're always forgiven, but we can never take it lightly. We can't. We can't. There has to be repentance with forgiveness. Otherwise, it, God's going to keep forgiving us, but we're going to answer for it in the day at the Bema Seat of Christ. Anyway, so next, let's move on. We've got, we got 18 minutes. Let's move on. Next, we'll move into the most awe-inspiring part of this book. And this is what I wanted to cover a little bit tonight here because we're going to break till after, after uh, New Year's, after this, I think. But listen, this is cool. This is great. This is the, the wrap-up for this evening. So we're going to move into the most, I think, you know, we, we, we've seen a lot of awe in this book so far, right? We've seen a lot of awe um, from his portable throne and all the interdimensional stuff, right, to all this judgment and what Ezekiel had to do and, and all of this never-ending back and forth about judgment and anger and what they've been doing and how God is angry. And, and now that we're hinting at the restoration, now the tide is turning in this book, right? We're, we're moving into that. So here we're going to see, as we move forward directly into chapter 36, we're going to see... You, can you keep up on your device? <laughs> We're going to see the prophet... We will. Yes. Huh? We just covered... We just, But you see what I covered. I covered pretty much what's all there. I just skipped a lot of detail. I explained... There's not enough time. And there's not enough time to study the, all, the entire books. But you, you see where you got the flavor of what this is all about, right? So we're moving here. We will start in chapter... So get your finger in your Bible there, chapter 36, son. All right. We will see... Now listen to this. Beginning in 36 and on through the end of the book, the prophecy of Israel's regathering to the land, and I, I'm going to make sure we understand this, in unbelief, and we know that is when? Right now. Even though it was written about a long time ago, it's right now. The coming, not yet here, but the coming, and you can see it stratifying right now with all these nations, with Russia and Israel and all the gas and the oil that she's found, right? And, and all of this and more. With Saudi Arabia turning its, its, its coat. Think of this quickly, right? Back in the 70s, you could have never seen this coming. Iran wasn't Iran that we know yet, and Turkey was a, a Western kind of country, right? You could have read this in the 70s and say, oh, I don't think this is going to happen. Now look at it. How can it not happen? The coming Gog and Magog battle and its detailed account in chapter 39, which I said before, most people don't read. And then God's, and I'm going to say it like this, just-in-time rescue of Israel. If it were not for God, and this is before the tribulation, I'm pretty sure. I'm, in my heart of hearts, I'm sure. If he doesn't rescue them, when we read this, you're going to see that they'd be done. They'd be done. And we're not even talking about the tribulation. So, this is what's coming next on the docket for where we are now. And I hope, I hope what we're all doing, because we don't talk about it much anymore, um, is watching the world around us. I mean, detail. It's not just what's happening in America and all the fluff and all the stuff. We've got to watch what's happening around Israel and how those nations are changing. 
change. You got to watch that because it is amazing what we are setting up to do because of Donald Trump. When he went to Saudi Arabia and he put his hand on that globe, right? Did you know that Saudi Arabia is also changing their tack because they can't make money on oil anymore? You see all of the sackings they've had and all of the arrests and, and the princes dying and now the new young prince, Salman, is going to be the prince now? This is changing everything in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. That's the first thing. Now, what they're doing is they are working with Israel against Lebanon, against Hezbollah. And, they're, they're, and they hate Iran. And so you're going to see when that Russia... I don't want to get into the, I don't want to get into the spoiler. It, you're going to see it when we get there. It's right now. It's talking about spoiled, what? Yeah. No, you have to save it for the end. Come on, we only got a few minutes left. All right. So just think of this. Read his, let's start off in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 1. We're going to read a couple of, verse 3. Think of this. Chapter 36, verses 1 through 3, as we get into this marvelous book, because we are in that time. Son of man, prophecy to the mountains of Israel, and say, mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. The enemy said of you, ah, the ancient heights have become our possession, especially what's one of the highest points in, in Israel, especially for a strategic advantage. Golan. The Golan Heights, right? They're getting close. You know that Iran is... The it, West Bank, yeah. No, the Golan. The Golan. That's where the West Bank is. No, no, the West Bank is, is down. Any? The West Bank is the West Bank of the Jordan River. Well, they already have a base there, but what's happening now, and this just happened last week, so Netanyahu's been warning Russia to not allow Iran, because Iran's there, Turkey's there, all these nations are now in Syria, and Iran's getting closer. And so he warned, you know this story, right? This is what I'm saying, you got to watch what's going on there, because you don't hear this on the news. And he told uh, uh, Netanyahu, who, who has a relationship, it's a good relationship so far with Putin, because Putin's got his eye on the, he, the Leviathan he's reserves. A, he's a believer. Huh? Netanyahu is a believer. No, he's not. I'm sorry, he is not. We find out it at the, at the temple when I was at the no, temple. No, I'm sorry, he's not. You can see what he's doing. He is not a believer. He's not a Christian. He's not. I'm sorry. Well, he's I, not. They don't, he factors, they don't call themselves Christians. No, he doesn't believe in Christ as his Savior. He doesn't believe in Christ the Messiah. He does not. I guarantee you. You look at what he does. Look at who he is. And look at what he's doing. He, he He's... No, he, he. I wish I could say that was true, but he's. He, I don't believe he is at all. But anyway. Um, but he is fast friends with Putin, Right? And Putin sent a letter, I don't know, from the, I guess from, did you hear about this? The prime minister, whatever, whatever. Someone sent a letter basically saying, well, it said it, that we have no problem, we see no problem with Iran being here in, in Syria, and we are going to make, he didn't say he going to make sure, there's no problem with them being here, and we're not going to allow you to really do anything about it. Think of that. Think of that. Who is coming down with Russia? The primary nation. The former Persia in 1935 became Iran because they became in cahoots with Nazism and Iran in Farsi means Aryan. Does, is this rocket science? Does anybody... We see it, but I mean, who doesn't see this? Anyway, we got to move on here. Son of man, prophecy of the mountains of Israel. Okay, verse 2. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Verse 3. Therefore, prophecy and say... This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Because they ravaged and crushed you from every side, you know all these nations are crushing Israel, so that you become the possession, the possession of the rest of the nations and the object of the people's malicious talk and slander, comma, and I'm going to get back to that. Doesn't that sound like right now? Now think about all of this encompassing stuff. Now think of this, right? To become a possession of the rest of the nations, who's driving that? The United Nations. With Rome, Edom, right there, making sure that it becomes an international city and that land is international. They're trying to take over even all of the holy sites. The Palestinians own a lot of the land now, supposedly. They don't own it, but they're occupying the land. They're given for the, uh, for the precious sites, if you were. And so think of that. Especially think of Jerusalem as a city that is rapidly being prepared. Like I said, you have to look this up. This is an amazing thing. The road systems that are being built, especially around south of that city and the checkpoints. Now that we know that, let's move to verse 4. Therefore, mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Sovereign Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to the mountains and hills, to the ravines and the valleys, to the desolate ruins and the deserted towns. That's not right now, is it? Think of this. 
think of this, that you that have been plundered and ridiculed by the rest of the around. So he's just a little history lesson about Israel, right? This is what the Sovereign Lord says. In my burning zeal, I have spoken against the rest of the nations and against all Edom. For with glee, with gladness, and with malice in their hearts, they made my land their own possession so that they might plunder its pasture land. And I'm going to add the hook in the jaw for Gog, or the prince of Magog, which is Russia, Rush, is that oil field, Leviathan, that gas field, Leviathan, that area. They say right now that Israel, they know, has more gas and oil under it right now than Saudi Arabia. They're seeing on oil. That, right? but that's what I'm saying. So look at the change in the political structure immediately. And, of course, Putin's not there for anything but to spoil. You know, people are investing money in, uh, to, to open uh, for oil in Israel, and the Arabs went berserk. I well, mean, right. Well, yeah, but, but Russia is the key. This is going to be the hook in the jaw. And I thought this a long time ago. We talked about this when I was teaching the Elite Baptist Church, but now it's painfully obvious. And they're getting close. They're encroaching on all sides. And that's why Saudi Arabia is going to, is going, to going against with Israel, Hezbollah, because the friend of my friend is, 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 is the friend of the, no, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Saudi Arabia has no love for Israel. But Saudi Arabia hates Iran, and they know Iran hates them because they're Shiite versus Sunni, okay? And they know that Iran wants to blow them up. Now, remember, this is going back a while ago in my Bible studies here after EBC. Remember I talked about Elam, the prophecies of Elam, okay, and where that was? And those mountains there, they're scared because it's going to shield the, the West from a nuclear, any, any nuclear problem. But the, because of the currents, Saudi Arabia is also concerned that there's a nuclear exchange that's going to hit them if somebody bombs Iran, if Israel has to go in there, they're going to get the fall. There's a lot going on here. So now they, with the United States, are going against Hezbollah because who drives Hezbollah? Iran. They were taking over Lebanon, right? So you know Hariri, the, the old former prime minister of, of, of uh, Lebanon, he's gone now. He's, he went to Saudi Arabia and he defected. It's amazing. This is happening right now. Verse 6. Therefore prophecy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains and hills, to the ravines and the valleys, I speak in my jealous wrath because you suffered the scorns of the nation. Nah. This is, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I swear, this is God saying it. I swear with uplifted hand that the nations around you will also scuffer, suffer scorn. But you, mountains of Israel, will produce branches and fruit for my people, for they will come home. They will soon come home. And I think we'll stop here for tonight. So you see. He's talking back and forth here very rapidly. The nations are coming, but, but before that, he's saying, I'm going to restore the land, right? And we know in the 1800s, the land was getting ready for the people. And General Allenby came in there. The Turks were gone without firing a shot. Jerusalem was run back to the crown. And then it was the Balfour Declaration and everything that happened after that that gave Jerusalem, well, that, at least the sliver of land that is Israel, to make the way for, at the time of the League of Nations and the United Nations, to make the way for Israel to become a nation. And we know that the rest is history. And in 1967, they even got Jerusalem back and they weren't expecting that. That was a miracle. So we'll pick up with where we left off right now to the end. We're going to talk about all we're current now. All right, so I guess I'm going to stop here. I'm going to ask some questions. So thank you, everyone.